there are responsibilities that we have as an industry. Um, and I, I'm not just talking about residential real estate sales or commercial real estate sales or the MLS or anything like that. I'm talking about real estate as a an industry, new home development and, and all of that. And if we're not considering what we're seeing today out there, that even today we have to worry about the fact that some nine-year-old kid died in, in the West due to the smoke inhalation from the fires. This is only going to get worse. Welcome to another podcast here. Um, today I'm really excited to announce our very, very, very special guest, John DeMichelli who is Toronto Regional Real Estate Board's uh, CEO. And we're going to talk about many things today. We're, all, we're going to talk about our pr- pursuit of it. Uh, we're going to get into the coffee beans. The name of the show, John, is uh, Coffee Beans and, and Real Estate. And people ask me, what does coffee beans and real estate have in common? And, and it's one of, the first, one of the first training sessions that I have with um, somebody new to the business or new to the brokerage is coffee beans right what is um so the coffee shop owner has hours of operation has schedule has um time to open time to close and and business prep and the comparison is a realtor does a realtor have any of that or should a realtor have any of that and should we treat this business of real estate as a business or we just come into the office randomly hoping um, for something to happen, right? So, so the, the, the coffee beans is, is that when I asked him, I said, well, what do you do, um, to, to prepare for your day, for your week? And if you're a coffee shop owner, what would that be? And how can you bring that onto the, the, the career profession of real estate? So, um, we're going to get into that. John has a, a huge, um, bio and we can get into a lot of stuff. Um, but he's been very instrumental in bringing many um, platforms and new innovation to Toronto Regional Real Estate Board. But we're not going to get into a lot of that today. I know John is very passionate about uh, many, many things, including uh, behavioral science. But I think today, John, I'm going to lead you down the path, and I'm going to have the question of what is it, and and I'm going to give you some time to think about it, and we'll bounce things around a little bit. But we're talking, we're talking about today traffic coming in, congestion coming in, some of the consequences or side effects of COVID where people were, there was a big exodus uh, from major cities like Toronto um, and, and what, that, what impact that had on, on the environment. So traffic, um, we, we mentioned, you mentioned the world's on fire, literally. Um, what, what is the, so the environmental side of, and how that ties in with organized real estate and what is there a onus on us, a responsibility of sorts for us to sort of raise a little more awareness and, and, and take on that fight? First of all, thank you for having me here. This is like a, a pleasure and an honor. So don't, uh, don't make this all about me. This is um, really exciting and it's nice to have the opportunity for us to do this, Manny. So I really appreciate it. Um, but I think we all have to accept a couple of things. And I guess I came to the realization on that in 2015. 
because as you know, I live in Oakville and I drove, drive to Don Mills every day. And as I was driving down the highway, I, I, learned, I saw every year the traffic would increase in a certain place by 20%. So when I first, I would drive to Treb first year, 45 minutes, and then all of a sudden, 55. And I kept seeing this backlog of cars and thinking, well, what, what exactly is happening? Are we just not planning correctly? Is the infrastructure not correct? Then I came to the realization is that we were well behind on two things, infrastructure and housing. That's what, how we created the, uh, the concept in my head of the market year in review and outlook report. But combined with that was this burgeoning issue of climate change. <laughs> that things were happening. And as we added cars, I don't know if you remember, at one point we would see that yellow haze over the city. Now it's combined with smoke. This is how bad it's gotten over time. But there are responsibilities that we have as an industry. Um, and I, I'm not just talking about residential real estate sales or commercial real estate sales or the MLS or anything like that. I'm talking about real estate as a, an industry new home development and all of that. And if we're not considering what we're seeing today out there, and I'm talking seriously as a human being, <laughs> um, that even today we have to worry about the fact that some nine-year-old kid died in, in the West due to the smoke inhalation from the fires. This is only going to get worse. And it's, it's, it's hard for me to argue with people who take the other side of this and say it's not a problem when I hear my American friends screaming at me because they're getting our smoke down there in New York City and basically saying, what's going on in Canada? So the problem is this is a symptom of a bigger problem. And that problem is how we actually are designing our cities and communities and our homes. And actually, we need to all take better, more responsibility for what's going on out there yeah it, you know it's well said and uh, we often we we leave it for everyone else to figure these things out and to solve these problems but yeah you're right i remember the haze over the city but that was just normal everyday smog now we have you know the we're, we're in downtown toronto for those who are listening at home and um yeah, and now we, we see smell evidence of fires that are coming from nor northern Ontario, western Canada. And, um, and it's real and it's, and it's happening. And literally, the, the, you know, the world is on fire. Uh, I know Europe is and they're heading on to their, uh, their peak season, which is uh, late July and August. Uh, so, I mean, I can't imagine what it looks like from up above and uh, up in space. But it's got to be horrific to look at. So... What what is what do we do? How, how do we how do we implement any change, John? I think we all have to kind of consider what the repercussions are going to be. Um, you know, I got a call from a friend of mine. I was actually on a Zoom uh, the other day, and they say, "Well, I hear you guys really have a lot of fires, a lot of smoke up there." I said, "Yeah, but I'm down to secondhand smoking two trees a day now." <laughs> so so we, we have to. We have to take into consideration that we're all a little bit responsible here. But I don't understand a couple of things. So when you go in to buy a new home, they're going to offer you 
accommodate you and you get to choose things like flooring and tile colors and paint and, and, you know, all these other extras in a home. But nobody says, hey, do you want me to install a Nest thermometer? Something that you can manage that actually is connected to your phone so you can manage that. They don't say, are you interested in solar panels? Nobody talks about ground source heat pumps. They don't talk about sustainable roofing materials. They don't, they don't offer these things to someone who might want to have a more sustainable home. Why not? So everything has to be aftermarket. Why not right at the beginning do they talk about maybe instead of having another piece of uh, asphalt on the driveway, maybe there's another solution there that will actually manage the water better because water is going to be a problem, not just heat, but water is going to be a problem. We all know that. I mean, in the United States, they're basically not insuring anybody who's near a creek, right? And they're going to, and mark my words, they're going to stop insuring people for fire uh, if they're in certain communities and certain positions. But why not take the responsibility now on how we build our communities and really start thinking about what's this going to look like down the road? Was it bad that last year? Not bad. Is it as bad as this year with fires? This is record setting. So, and now the heat, <laughs> the temperature in the United States is is reaching 130 degrees. I don't know. I I am. I don't think I'm Chicken Little anymore. For a while there, I thought I was, but I'm not that anymore. Now it's sort of coming to fruition. And there are people who have been working on this for 20 years, saying this is coming. Let's pre- let's prepare for it. So why not have some metrics even in our system that we can actually genuinely uh, adopt or adapt? And there are technological things that we could do um, for a house to be able to understand, is this, is this environmentally friendly? Is this a sustainable home? And I think we, can, we should be thinking that way now. And as an industry, we should be leading. I agree. As an industry, I, I think... You know, some of the, the key words that we, we keep hearing in major cities like Toronto and especially in the, in the GTA is uh, the cost of housing and, and the cost to build. Would, would adding some of these or implementing some of these measures that, uh, that sort of uh, affect or, or help us with sustainability, would that add to the cost of building? Is that something that maybe the builders are afraid to get into because you know, it's already expensive enough to, to build. Why are we going to, you know, put ourselves in a position where it's, you know, just going to take the cost of housing up? But if the consumer, you don't have to build it in, not yet anyway, because eventually there's going to be legislation, mark my words. They are going to put regulations on how you build because of the environmental impact. It's going to happen. Now, I hate to project into the future, but it's going to happen. But if I, as a home buyer, want it, why not offer it to me? Correct. Having that. Listen, as far as implementation, um, I'm old enough to remember the energy crisis in the early 80s. It was the advent of the Toyota Corolla and the Honda Civic and electric furnaces in houses and urea formaldehyde uh, being being sprayed on houses as as a, a measure to preserve you know, to, to, to help us with the energy, rising energy crisis at the time. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I agree that the government will start to implement certain things and um, maybe it's long overdue. Having some of these measures, uh, certainly, you know, on a individual basis, they may not mean a lot, but as a cumulative compounding effect, 
it will certainly have a tremendous impact in major cities um, like Toronto and, you know, you're looking other major cities like uh, San Francisco or back to Vancouver. I mean, it's, uh, it, it's difficult there as well. They're, they're going th- through some hard times. Do you know, John, do you know of any global city, any, anybody that's ahead of the curve? No, not really. I know that there's a lot of uh, sustainable building in Europe in various parts, mm-hmm. um, but not to the degree that of growth because they don't have a lot of places to grow there. So there, there's a preservation element there of historical in many of the uh, areas. But in our country, in North America, um, especially in our country, we don't really have that preservation aspect. And in fact, a lot of the buildings that were historical in, in, in the city have been ripped down. Right. And and we build new, um, you know, interesting structures um, <laughs> that are all glass, right? And, you know, I hate to say it, but that doesn't really present itself as a very sustainable uh, potential. Uh, but, I, but I also think about it in terms of what can we actually do now, starting slowly, to start turning the minds of uh, the consumers. And I, and I guess my concern, my, my question is, and I don't know enough about it because I haven't done the research, but the carbon tax component. And, you know, the carbon offsets thing and tap and trade and all that cap and trade. I mean, so, you know, are, what are they using those funds? Are they investing uh, a lot of those taxes into sustainable type projects? Um, I'm sure they are, but it's, it's an area that I would like to see some greater transparency on. Um, I think that there's an opportunity to, for someone, and I'm giving it ideas here, for someone to go out and say, look, I've got an idea to create a, a small sustainability upgrade to a house, and I'll, and I'll give you one because this is what I do. Uh, if someone can come up with a battery pack and solar system that's affordable that I can plug into my fridge, which runs 24 hours a day, or a furnace, now you've got something, right? As long as you take a little bit of that power off the grid and you actually have something that's not really using anything but solar energy, to actually create something like that, I think you've got something you can sell. I don't know. Would you agree? Yeah, I, listen, I, I think, and I enjoy watching those, uh, when you mentioned off the grid, those uh, those entrepreneurs or adventurers that go out and build their own house and and it's sustainable uh, and they, they live entirely off the grid. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it's sexy enough, John. I think right now with the you're talking about um, artificial intelligence and you know getting uh, getting a, a robot to clean your house, clean your pool, write your speech, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I think that's where it's at right now. What we're talking about here is to is to I don't know. It's boring. It's 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 not something that is reaching the masses, and but it's a real thing. Look, you mentioned not getting house insurance for your house or cottage if you live in 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 a higher risk zone. It's already happening here with flood zones in in Toronto. If you live in a flood plain, and if you're a realtor, you would know this, there are maps, your insurance is going to be triple or quadruple of what the average consumer is paying. I was down in New Orleans on a conference and happened to go on a little tour of the bayou and and the swamp, and and they're losing an exponential amount of, of soil. It was a football field per hour, something crazy like that, John. 
And uh, the tour operator was telling me that his property insurance, because of all the, the storms and the and storms have always been part of living on the coast, but now it's it, they're bigger, faster, stronger, the storms. Uh, at level four, level five is um, almost expected every single time. He said that the house insurance, it, it's unaffordable for the average person that lives on, on a little coastal town. They're fishermen or they're tour operators. They can't afford it. It doubled or quadrupled in some cases. So they're going without insurance, which is a bigger problem, right? So they can't afford it. So the insurance companies, as you said, are are just saying, look, we can't afford to keep paying out every year. Nobody's doing anything about it. So I guess we'll just quadruple your, your premiums and hope that you actually cancel so we don't have to pay out. <laughs> Interesting solution. <laughs> right. <laughs> they price them out. Well, I mean, there's, there's, there, there are other things going on that I, I don't want to get into with the, with insurance companies, but, um, it, it's not sexy enough, John. This conversation, this conversation, I, I've seen you and you had a, a panel talking about green building and there's so many things one can do as an individual. You know, maybe I can afford to do it if I'm building my own house today. I can. The average consumer may not be able to absorb the extra costs. Um, and it would be like there has to be some sort of incentives, either governmental or something that's going to to make this uh, come on en masse. It, it, it's the only way to the future. That's the whole carbon tax solution, if there's anything. Now, let me put it into perspective. From a carbon perspective, Canada only put, is, is responsible for 1.6% of the carbon. Okay which is really minor. But if you look at other real carbon-producing nations, uh, you know, we all know who they are. There's three. It's terrible. But here we are trying to do this and actually putting the burden on this population to do so, which is not where the problem lies. However, it is what it does is it raises. It should be raising our consciousness to this issue. My, my challenge with um, investing in this and, and I don't care that people say, well, it's not going to be something that people will care about. It's the same thing. You only need insurance when you need insurance, right? So uh, if, if, if I can prevent that problem, then maybe we should think about preventing it. I'll, I'll give you another thing we need to think about. So in one of the, the research documents we had done, um, uh, uh, Pembina looked at What's it going to take to do to to um, uh, retrofit all these apartments that and buildings that do not have air conditioning? What's it going to cost as temperatures continue to increase? What's it going to cost to actually retrofit and and then forget about those costs? What's the the drain going to be on the power grid when everybody has to turn on their air conditioners? Wow, I mean, there there's so many things uh, associated with that. Geothermal has got to be a solution because, um, and, and downtown Toronto, for instance, is a it's a viable solution because of the proximity to the waterfront and any other. Um, but the the drain on the power grid, yeah, and and how about the drain on the healthcare system when when these people and this this happens, it's going to happen again this year, and that happens when you have um, the surge on, on consumption power failures, and then people are trapped in their homes in sweltering heat. So I, so, so what you're saying, it's going to take a major 
catastrophe to, to affect change? I think there's two paths, raising consciousness. Um, one thing we haven't talked about with this that nobody talks about, but the effect on food. What happens if you can't grow food? Because of floods, because of fire, because of heat, because of drought. What are you going to do? What are you going to eat? <laughs> I know what we're going to do. We're going to take the, the uh, office towers and turn them into, into the, those, uh, um, what are they called? You know, where you grow food inside, like... Uh, uh, hydro- hydroponic labs. Uh, yeah, yeah, hydroponic labs. <laughs> they grow food in, in the first Canadian place because it's empty because no one's in the office. But think about it in those terms. Are we going to be in that situation? How, how long is it? It's going to take, and, and two years ago, somebody told me that they were at, there's a conference, and they're saying there's only 60 harvests left if we continue down this path. So that was two years ago, so really 58. We got 58. It, it's scary to think about, and if you, if you ever go to California, and if you look at some of, the, some of the cattle farms that they have, or you look at Colorado and the drain that it, that, that it is, I mean, those cattle farms are, uh, I visited one, let's say 10 years ago, and they had a 25-acre sewer pond, right? Manure pond. So that's for the runoff. And we got into the the consumption, just to clean that thing on a daily basis, to power wash it. The the irrigation systems, the all, all the infrastructure needed. The water's, it's not disappearing because water, there's no net loss necessarily, but it's being displaced from, from here to there. And you're right. How are you going to grow fruits and vegetables? I mean, you've got hothouse concepts, and, and I know that they can do that type of work, but it's still going to have a, a major effect. You cannot, right now, all those those um, hothouses are now uh, full of weed, marijuana, right? If you look at all those uh, in Leamington, they were all filled with tomatoes. Now, they're all filled with cannabis. So... Again, this is the this is part of the problem because in a lot of those third world countries where they don't where people are starving, they're actually sadly they grow cash crops. They do not grow food, and and you know that's that's a problem that can be fixed. But if you still can't grow anything, we have a long we have a short term dangerous environment um, for people that are first of all the air you can't breathe. Hopefully the water will remain clean. But if there's not enough food to go around in, in 40 years, then we have serious problems. And I think that that's you know, alarmist in nature. People talk about these things all the time. And I think, okay, well, maybe. But if we're taking the appropriate steps now, we should never get to that stage. Right? And there's some really clever people that are around talking about how to change the course. So we need to start listening better, too. So I want to thank uh, my friend John DeMichelli for speaking to us on this very important subject. Um, If you look around, listen, watch the news, you can relate to it. Uh, Something's going on, there are things happening out there, and it's important for us to be aware of those things and and change. Uh, Last episode, I shared something about selling my car, my hot rod, when I was 23 23 years old and new to the business. I did sell it uh, in order to buy my my business appropriate vehicle. In hindsight, I suppose I could have kept it, uh, struggled a little bit more, and uh, and kept it, and uh, and I'd have it today. All I have 
with me today as a memory of it and a nice plaque on my wall or a photo of uh, an image of the, the vehicle. And if you want to see it, go on my Instagram and, uh, and you get uh, a full shot of it. Uh, I sold it to Henry. Uh, I had to knock on his door and get my money. Eventually his dad paid me in full. And this is a true story. Uh, a listener commented on what he heard and he thought it was interesting. And, um, you know, just found the struggle interesting and appreciated hearing it. Uh, we all have little interesting stories and tales and struggles. Um, so tell me what you think. Tell me if you find anything and what you're listening interesting, if it's enlightening, provocative. Let me know what you think. Share it with a friend. And if you find this podcast program positive, humorous, whatever the case, share. So I want to thank Doug for producing this. I want to thank you at home or wherever you are listening to it uh, for tuning in, for listening, and for, for liking it. Um, and as again, as I said, if you like what you hear, share. 